Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie. Joining me is Nathan Makaborski. Hello, Hillary. And John Schwartz. Happy May. John, what day is it today? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Well, <laughs> not really, though. Uh, Today's whatever day you happen to be listening to this in the next two weeks. Yes, yes. It's Um, also, mind you, I don't know what's going to be like on the day you're listening to this, but it's currently like 85 degrees outside and about 36 degrees in this room. um, I am wearing a winter coat right now as we are recording this, but I am always wearing a winter coat here in this office because it's always frigid. Well, it's funny because they always say, you know, like live TV studios, you want them to be really cold so that the audience is like active and not falling asleep. But that should not be a problem for us. And yet, here we are in a nice box. Yeah. I think we should relocate. Why don't we go sit in the bleachers or something? Oh, my God. That would be amazing. So, the Yankees are returning to the home ballpark. And we got a new magazine on sale. The May issue of Yankees Magazine with Sir Didi on the cover. How about that? Always exciting when we got a fresh issue out there hitting the newsstands. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited, uh, really happy with this cover. Um, you know, Dee Dee has been just on this trajectory seemingly ever since he got here where he's just gotten better and better. And uh, while this isn't the first time we've had him on the cover, it might be the first time we've had an action shot of him on the cover. You know, we always... I believe it's the third cover. There was the one where he was getting doused with the Gatorade and right. the emoji one right mm-hmm. and now there's this and there's the one where him and um Starling Castro were, were also on the cover oh, that's right. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but those were all kind of either posed or like you said the celebration like a post-game you know water dousing so um this is you know we wanted to feature him doing what he does best which is uh playing baseball uh, for a change, so I don't know. Uh, I think you could argue he's best at social media. <laughs> Probably the best on the team at social <laughs> media, but uh, I mean, his play so far this year has just been outstanding. I mean, every day you guys are on the same email chain as I am, and we get the kind of like daily updates from the Yankees PR department. And Didi's name is always at the top of the list in terms of just some new milestone that he's hit or. You know, I think he finished the month of April with 10 homers and 30 RBIs, which is like, that is a great month, no matter how you split it. Um, So, uh, you know, he's just been on fire this year. And uh, we felt he was super worthy of of the cover treatment for May. And I think it's more than just him being on fire because, you know, we're coming off the last 12 games what is it is it 10 of 11 or 11 10, 12? yeah i think 10 of 11 whatever yeah i mean obviously the team has gotten it together so it, it, it's way too early at this point to tell what things are going to look like in september and october but the fact is i mean the red Sox are really good um there's a lot of teams that are good here if the yankees make the playoffs and if it happens to be somewhat tight that they made the playoffs you're going to look back at those first three weeks in april when really <laughs> Didi was carrying this team. I mean, uh, there's only so much he could do alone, but like with the way everyone else on the team was hitting, if Didi wasn't hitting, it's hard to imagine where this team would be in the standings right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as great as his hitting has been, I mean, his defense has been superb as well. He's been one of the best defenders at shortstop for a couple of years now and yeah. just not really getting the recognition he deserves. No, I mean, he, he's not, you know, the flashiest player on the field, but he's just so solid out there. You he know? makes every play. Yeah. When, when, on the rare occasion when he doesn't, it's, it 
you're kind of like, whoa, you know, it's surprising mm-hmm. because he's just so shorthanded out there and so confident. And, um, you know, he kind of inspires confidence in his teammates out there um, because, you know, his pitchers feel like any ground ball hit to shortstop, he's going to scoop it up and make a play. And um, he's he's been kind of, uh, you know, thrown into a, a little bit of a, an uncertain situation this year in terms of the other infielders around him, you know, coming into the year, the second base and third base jobs were kind of up for grabs. You know, even the guys who kind of secured those jobs coming out of camp aren't necessarily the ones who he's playing alongside now. So there's been a lot of changes around him, and he's sort of been the, the you know, solidifying force out there. He's helping these young guys along. And so in, you know, the the story about Didi in here, um, you know, that's part of it is just about how he works with the younger guys, how, um, you know, they kind of look up to him and how that's helped the team so far. Nate, you wrote the story and you talked to Tim Nearing, who mm-hmm. is one of our uh, baseball executives here. What's his title? He now? is the vice president of baseball operations. But he kind of so. led the charge to get Didi. Is that correct? He did. Um, Tim Nearing was named vice president of baseball operations here. I want to say this is maybe his third year in that role. But prior to that, he had about six or seven years, I want to say, uh, in uh, the pro scouting department. He was a pro scout for the Yankees. So looking at other teams, other players, um, making recommendations as to, you know, trades that we might want to make. So in 2014, after Derek Jeter announced that that season would be his last one, um, it kind of fell on the shoulders of everybody in the Yankees pro scouting department to go out and look for a replacement because, you know, when we looked internally at what we had coming up through the pipeline at the time, it didn't really seem like there was a viable candidate then. So Tim watched a lot of Arizona and he was impressed from the get-go with what he saw. But we went into, you know, it's such a big decision mm-hmm. that uh, it requires a lot more than just... You know, I like this guy. Yeah, it's it's like, okay, you know, you might see a couple things you like, but it's got to be the whole package. You know, when you're coming to New York, you're, you know, Didi at the time was, I think, maybe 25, you know, young ball player. He was maybe like a, a 250 career hitter at the time. Uh, he had already been traded once. You know, he came up through the Reds organization and, and was dealt to Arizona. Yeah, I don't think he had even really played a, a full season, like right. a legitimate full season. Yeah. So he's watching Didi play, and he sees things he likes, but he also sees potential for growth in a lot of areas. But then beyond that, he also just wanted to get a feel for like the type of personality he was and the type of uh, mental makeup that Didi has. And you know, the the the, uh, the baseball ops folks they always like to talk about checking boxes. That's like a big catchphrase with them. And uh, he said, you know, Didi checked all the boxes. You know, everybody they spoke to about him just had nothing but great things to say about his work ethic, how he is as a teammate. And, you know, the thing that Tim saw that right off the bat that still resonates with him today is just the joy, the smile on his face all the time. I mean, not a lot of guys, you know, play with that sort of just unbridled enthusiasm for the game. And and that's, it's not an unimportant piece, you know, it, it rubs off on teammates. It just fosters a great environment in the clubhouse. He, he saw that and he saw the, the on-field stuff and said, you know, not only does this guy have the potential to be, you know, a great player and an important piece of what we hope is going to be a championship caliber club, but 
this could be one of the leaders uh, on the Yankees in a few years. And I think he's proven himself to be exactly that. He is in the clubhouse, the guy who is talking to everybody and joking with everybody and kind of like lightening everything up on the field. You'll see him. I remember I was watching a game from the press box and Glaber Torres kind of like they had shifted and Glaber Torres kind of went in front of Didi to make a play and Didi kind of just like put his hands on his head, starts shaking his head at him, just laughing like, come on, man, what are you doing? Like he's the guy who's like, even if it was a mistake, the play was made and Didi's like, at least he made the play, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think we do need to, um, you know, talk about the elephant in the room though, because, you know, Nate, it's not just you. I wrote a story in this May issue also, which uh, touched on a lot of, uh, some of DD's um, heroics in particular that uh, opening home opener when you had the eight RPI uh, day. And the fact of the matter is obviously, as we've said, this is the fourth time DD's on the cover. We like the guy. We like writing the guy, writing about the guy, but fans like reading about the guy. Fans we like get, reading about the guy. Lots of he, letters from readers whenever we do. Very stuff photogenic on. too. Great pictures. Yes, definitely. Super hard to interview though. Can we get into this? <laughs> because nobody, and I literally mean nobody, I think I'm up to 16 years now of covering Major League Baseball. Nobody is like better at the game in a sense of, you know, seeming media savvy. And obviously the social media thing is new now. wasn't, But like it is impossible. Didi can hit two home runs and have eight RBI. And he is it is impossible to get him to say anything positive about what he did. Yeah. All he wants. He, you know, I, there's a quote in your story, Nate, if I remember correctly, where he's basically like, you know, you can get four hits, but uh, then you'll just be wondering why you didn't get a fifth. Yeah. And it's like, well, Didi, what if you only had four bats and you got four hits? Like, can't you then celebrate finally? Can't you then say, like, I had a great game today? I had, had a perfect day to play today, you know? No, he's, uh, he's, he's never satisfied with his play. He always thinks he can do better, and he's always going to deflect attention onto others. He grew up in a, in a baseball family. You know, his, his grandfather, his father, his, his mother, his brother, they all played baseball at a really high level. So that feeling of team is just embedded in him. He's just not wired for it being about me, you know, he would he would make a, a terrible wide receiver right, in the NFL. He couldn't be a tennis player. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it, it can be a challenge sometimes when, a, you know, you're, our, our task is to write a cover story about a guy who doesn't want to really talk about himself. But, but wants um, to talk about everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll talk to you. I, I've yeah. had many good conversations with Didi. None oh, yeah. of them have revolved around Didi. <laughs> no, if you ask him a question about himself, he just like clams up. He's, He's like, like no, oh, no, it's no, just a, no. all I'm thinking about is winning. And it's uh, like, well, right, but you did a lot to contribute to that win when you had eight RBI in this game. No, 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 the guy's just got on base in front of me. It's like, Didi! Yeah, so to get really, you know, good insight into his role as a leader on the team yeah you have to go to the other guys for that sort of stuff <laughs> and and of course whether they've been a teammate of his for five minutes or five years they all have just you know wonderful things to say about what he does for this team um in fact you know miguel Andujar, i, I spoke to him and you know he speaks spanish and i don't so we're, we're doing the interview uh through interpreter marlon abreu and you know i'm listening to Miguel speak, and I, you know, I can pick up a couple words here and there. And uh, one of the words I heard him say in Spanish was "capitán," and I was like, "Oh, I, I know what that means." So <laughs> I, was, uh, I was excited to hear Marlon's, uh, you know, translation of that. And he said, "Yeah, you know, Didi is one of the leaders on this team, and we, I kind of look at him as a captain." 
But you have to. I mean, mm-hmm. if you just look at the role he plays in that clubhouse, is is the April that he had sustainable over the course of a season? I mean, probably not. But <laughs> that that doesn't matter because it happened. You don't think he's going to go for sixty and one eighty? <laughs> look, go, go for it, Didi. Yeah. Um, but there's no questioning what he's like. If you watch him during BP, if you watch him just you know shagging balls in the outfield, if you watch just the way he is on the bench during a game, it's just there's just nothing that phases him. He's always happy. He's always smiling. He got a curtain call on the road. Like (laughs) (laughs) that is hard to do. Yeah. Well, and you know, you guys are out there with me most days during batting practice and you know, it's hours before game time and it's, it's hard to think of uh, an occasion when Didi's not out there, you know, taking extra ground balls or, even working off to the side with one of the coaches. Um, or just, just hanging in the dugout, like mm-hmm. w- waiting for his turn to bat. He'll be like chatting with the security guy or one of the other guys in the dugout. Like he'll just be around or signing autographs for fans. He's yeah. just always out there in, yeah. in uniform with a smile on his face. It's it's very cool to see. But there's a funny little inside baseball part of this, um, which I think we should get into, which is, you know, we, we generally uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about how we want to stagger our stories to get them online. Um, and usually, obviously, you know, the May issue, we'll start looking at, you know, May 1st or whatever as the date to get these stories online. And Didi, I mean, obviously, was just red hot um, in the second half of April. I mean, the hottest player in baseball. He was player of the week last week. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had some a lot of discussions, like, do we rush this story out to put it online? And, you know, we kind of went back and forth for a while, and there were good reasons on both sides. And we finally decided, like, yes, you know, we need to capitalize this on this. He's super hot right now. So on Friday, we get the story online. And like in my, I don't know about you guys. In my head, like I'm just leaving the office that day, and I'm like, he's gonna go into like an 0 for 97 streak right now. <laughs> that we just did this, and that night he has the extra inning home run to win the game, and right. it's just like, okay, nailed <laughs> Thank, it. Thanks, Didi. <laughs> it, it, it's really amazing. I mean, like geniuses. Yeah, <laughs> it's usually the way it goes. Um, uh, it's really incredible to uh, to just think about the the shoes that he had to fill in coming here and. Um, you know, it, it didn't start off great necessarily. You know, his first couple months in pinstripes were, you know, I think he was hitting about 200 and, you know, he was hearing it from the crowd a little bit. And balls were just going between his legs. I mean, there was just like weird stuff. That's not him. Yeah. But, you know, he uh, put his head down and went to work. And, he, you know, now looking back on it, he says that first season was uh, it was valuable to him. You know, he learned some lessons about just sticking to your beliefs and and putting in the work. And if you do things the right way and play the game the right way, then eventually things will turn. And sure enough, they have. uh, Well, they have, they. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) now, I mean, look at him and like, you know, fans love this guy and it's... Number 18 jerseys everywhere you look. This guy is... Fan favorite is not even the word for it. People love Didi Gregorius. And I think the most important thing to uh, highlight as we uh, close this segment is uh all-star balloting mm-hmm. is if it's not underway exactly yet it will be very soon uh i think it's time dd gregorius goes to an all-star game i yeah, we gotta get dd to his first all-star game i think what who wouldn't want him in it's washington a, look there are good shortstops out there but i mean man dd should be an all-star yeah <laughs> he should have been an all-star last year so if you're listening Go on Yankees.com right now. Vote for Didi. We we got to send him to Washington yeah, this year. Yeah, don't make him go on the subway and like give free swipes again. I mean, <laughs> he'll do it, but he should just be in regardless. Honestly, like Nathan, you make a fair point. Like, if we're not going to send him to Washington to be an All Star, like, can we just make him a senator? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need we need Didi in Washington, one way or the other. What are the rules here? Vote exactly. for Didi. <laughs> 
He's already a great ambassador for baseball. So what else can he do for us? There? <laughs> All right. Coming up on this Yankees Magazine podcast, we will hear from Sir Didi himself. We'll have a little bit of Nathan's interview. And right after that, we're going to talk about John's story about Esteban Florial. So stick around. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine podcast. Since joining the Yankees prior to the 2015 season, Didi Gregorius has grown into one of the best shortstops in the game and a fan favorite. The smiling, tweeting, fun-loving 28-year-old opened the season on a tear and was named the AL Player of the Month for April. For the May cover story, Nathan caught up with Didi in the clubhouse. Here's some of their conversation. What is it about this game that appeals to you? You know, I mean, there's there's so many things to love about it. But, you know, what's your, what's your favorite thing about baseball? Why, why do you think it was this sport and nothing else for you? I mean, it's just, it's a team sport, and, you know, it's not a selfish thing. You know, everybody has to work as a team. That shows you how everything, everybody's going to come together and play the game the right way because everybody wants to play to win. I think that's one thing that's going to carry on for you and all the teammates, and I think your teammates will see that, and they want to do good, too. So I think that's... That's the thing for me. Yeah. Like it's basically just everybody coming together and be a good team. Yeah. I mean, I know you come from a very baseball family. Yeah. Do they did they help instill that that joy uh, in, oh, in yeah, playing definitely. the game? Definitely. Yeah. Did they kind of did they did your I don't know how much you saw your your parents play, but maybe a not, lot. But, yeah. <laughs> a lot, and I play with my dad too. All right. And yeah. did he kind of have the same uh, approach out yeah. there? Yeah. With the I smile? mean, my dad my dad stopped playing until he was fifty. 52, I think. It was pitching. So, really? Yeah. I mean, he's a freak runs every day. There's a lot of stuff. So, I mean, right now he's teaching the kids how to play the game. So, I really? think it's just it's something he loves doing. He loves coaching or now. So, it's just, you know, it's just helping each other make people get better. I think that's uh, how you want it to be. And because you don't want everything just to be about you. You're going to be around, around everybody around you because you want everybody to do good. That's basically how a team works. You know, having spoken to you in the past and spoken to your teammates, it's clear, like, Winning means a lot to you. Mm. Um, why do you think that is? I mean, is it the, the the feeling of winning after a game, or is it the you know hatred of losing? I mean, what is it? <laughs> what, what? <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit of both yeah. because you want to play to win. You don't want to lose. Mm. You want to we want to lose as less game as possible. You want to win the most game that you can win. You got to win everything. That's why you play the game. So you try to try to win game one until game 180 for example like you want to win the whole thing not just a couple games the home opener here obviously you had a great game i'm interested in you know what kind of your your mindset is on on opening day i mean is it still as exciting for you now uh, even though oh, it's yeah, not your yeah, first time around it's, yeah it's always you know it's always because that's what you've been working for in the offseason you know and now you're finally here to to get to play you know get to play in front of the fans you know they're the one that can make you or break you you know that's 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 what you do, and that's what uh, that's what is best about a game. Wednesday, two days ago, I think, was your actually uh, 600th start as a shortstop. Really? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I was, you know, thinking about that. Like that's a lot of experience out there. What's been uh, from a defensive standpoint playing shortstop? What's been you think your greatest? Um, you know, where have you improved the most? Like if we watch video of you playing shortstop as a rookie compared to now, what, what do you think is the biggest difference? The biggest difference, more settled in, I think. 
more settled in, more knowing the runners, and more knowing, like reading the, the hops, mm -hmm. get way more comfortable than before. Just, just those little, just little things that helps you try to get better. Yeah, are you? Um I would think all that experience would help you be better prepared to like anticipate where balls are yeah. going to be hit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, based on what you've done here these few years, you know, you're kind of on an upward trajectory. You know, you've shown improvement, steady improvement every year. What's your kind of mindset when it comes to getting better as a baseball player? Is it something that you strive to do every day, or I mean, is it more of a, a long-term approach? To I know? mean, nothing's going to happen by night, so it's going to take a while. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's just in general, we'll just try to get like better, like overall, a little bit matter what you do, because you can be a better teammate on defense. You can talk to the guys more and let the guys know, like give them a heads up, how speed is coming, or tell them to move to a certain position. Like it's just those type of stuff, those little things that can change the game. And especially like right now, we have a really young infield, so you know you gotta talk to them a lot too positioning all that stuff so you know like whistle whatever you know just keep each other keep everybody on the same pace of the game and let them know always let me know about this because this might happen blah blah kind of like kind of stuff like that so i think getting to know the guys and playing together and, and be more comfortable with everybody in the infield makes makes everything around you and the guys better too so i think that's uh, what you want to do yeah well, i think they uh they certainly appreciate that. I mean, yeah, you know, sure. these guys, you know, they see you as a leader now. You know, I was talking to Miguel Andohar recently, and, you know, he was saying, you know, he sees you as kind of a captain of this team. So uh, I think I think they appreciate what, what, what's going on out there. Um, you know, I've spoken to other athletes who've talked about, you know, a lot of guys kind of think that they have a, they play with like a chip on their shoulder. Like there was some sort of slight or something that they, whether it's real or imagined, that kind of motivates them. Was there ever anything like that in your past? That, that always, because I always want to improve. So I always say, hey, you can do better. Like even if you get four hits, mush, if you get four hits, I mean, you could get five. You know, you always, <laughs> it's never it's satisfied. Let's put, let's put it that way. Never satisfied. Never satisfied yeah. the way I play the game because you always, there's always room for improvement and trying to get better. Mm -hmm. um, your teammates also spoke a lot about uh, your confidence, just like, you know, you seem to have it all the time, but also, you know, their confidence in you that, you know, when a ball is hit your way, I mean, they, they feel pretty good about it. Is that something that uh, is, you know, are, are you feeling that internally too? I mean, does confidence ever wave you? Always you, have, you need to have confidence, otherwise you will not do your work. You will not do your job. So I think your confidence level always have to be high, even when it's not high, you got to find a way to bring it back up to where you want to be or even higher. So it's just stuff like that, you know. So you're always going to try to stay ready and try to be anticipate everything before it even happens. So then that's how your confidence level is going to stay up. And like Nobody's going to be perfect in the game, but you can always try to be your best when you go out there. Now for me, it's always love, you know. It's when you learn, like, the failure part of the game and you can't get upset about it, you know. It's mm -hmm. just because it's a game of failure and once you learn to accept, like, some failures, that's how you're going to make, like, learn how to make progress quicker than all the other times. So I think that's what I learned. That's one thing that actually helped me, too, to, mm -hmm. I mean, through my first first year here when it didn't start really well. But I learned to, like, play the game the right way because everything will turn out at some point. But for me, it's the love of the game because it's for, I mean, my dad, mom, brother, all play baseball and softball so for me it's like a family thing so I always had it growing up yeah. and they gave me a choice to play any other sport if I wanted and I did and at the end of the day they told me you got to pick one to keep playing mm -hmm. and I picked baseball was it? so it's always been baseball for me um, 
goals? I mean, I, I don't know, do you set specific goals for yourself? Win a ring, that's the only goal I have. The only goal I have. So, I mean, would it mean something to you to be named an all-star at some point in your career, hopefully I mean, this if, season? If I, if I go once, I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. That's all I ask for. Yeah. I mean, if I'm putting good numbers, I think I should go at least once if I have good numbers. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about who they want to pick to go. So right. I don't have no choice in that. All I can do is play the game. Yeah. And what about, like uh, Miguel alluded to, I mean, could you envision yourself being named a captain someday? And what would that that depends on them. Yeah. That depends on them. I'm not going around and saying that I'm the captain of the team, no. But mm -hmm. I'm I'm always here if somebody needs to talk to. So that's the only thing I worry about. Gotcha. I want everybody to feel good and be ready. Yeah. Didi, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. John. You spent some time over the offseason, a couple different occasions with Estevan Florial, kind of really getting to the bottom of this very, very interesting story about who he actually is. I have kind of weirdly been trailing Estevan Florial <laughs> for longer than he even knew um, because it started off very accidentally. Well, first of all, for somebody who might not know who Esteban Florial is. Who could that person be now? <laughs> Give us a quick update on, on where he's at now. Esteban Florial is currently uh, now affiliated with the Tampa Tarpons. Um, he is, more importantly, though, the number two prospect in the Yankee system. And with the fact that, although he still does maintain prospect status, Claybert Torres is now a major leaguer. I think you could reasonably look at Esteban Florial as the top prospect in the organization. Really, you know, a five-tool player. He's built like a defensive back. Much like Glaber Torres was last year, this year he was the youngest player in the Arizona Fall League, and he was the youngest player in Yankee Spring Training. Um, and so, again, I mean, he's a high-A player right now. This is, you know, probably at best a year and a half to two years away from even thinking about the major leagues. But, you know, stranger things have happened, and he's clearly a huge prospect. And how old is he, 20 years old? He's extremely young, but I don't like making too much of this, but he is just, you know, he's incredibly mature. His English is wonderful. Um, he really just seems to know what he's doing. He does not come off as a very young player when you're with him. But um, just to get back to what I was saying, though, this whole thing started for me with Esteban Florial long before I had ever heard his name. And maybe that's a flaw on my part that I hadn't. But, you know, we discussed this last year. I ended up in Charleston in hopes of doing a feature on Blake Rutherford last year before he was traded away. He ended up getting hurt the night before I got there. So I ended up doing this story on Donnie Sands, a catcher who's also now with the Tampa Tarpons. I'm there with a photographer and both of us, you know, we, I think we spent three days with the team. Both of us after the day one, we're just like, you see this Esteban Florial guy. It was like just, I, I have no scouting eye whatsoever, but it was that obvious that this was a special player. He just carried himself, you know, again, this is low A, but he carried himself just differently from anyone around him. And I was just completely fascinated. So fast forward about a month, he's uh, named to the All-Star Futures game team. And Nate, it was you who made the point. And again, I only knew this guy from just watching him once. I didn't even, at this point last year, I mean, he, he wasn't the number two prospect in the team yet. Nate, you made the point, like, isn't it crazy that he's from Haiti? They're yeah, so I remember few. he had the, the Haitian flag on his sleeve at the Futures game. Right. right? He's like, you're, and he pointed out to me, you know, it's just like, it's so bizarre that there are all these major leaguers from the Dominican and none from Haiti. 
And so I was like, oh, that is interesting. And, and I, I wasn't planning on writing a story about him or a feature about him, but, you know, there is, like, a short media availability before the Futurist game. So I went to talk to him, and I just asked him, you know, what does it mean to you to be from Haiti? You know, and do and, and you find it weird that, you know, it's such a rarity to see major leaguers? And he said to me, he's like, I'm not from Haiti. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's who has... a little curious. You've got a flag on you. That says yeah. you are, but okay. And, and so, you know, my first instinct, obviously, is this is like a language barrier thing. And like he's saying, like, you know, he lives in the Dominican um, so I kind of like asked, I don't remember exactly how I asked it, but like I framed it slightly differently. He was like, no, you know, I'm actually not from Haiti. Okay. Um, sure. You know, and I, 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 didn't make anything, I didn't make anything of it. Like I'm looking at MLB.com. It says you're from Haiti. Like mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, right. you know, you're from Haiti and you're wearing a Haitian flag on your shirt that I'm looking at you wearing. Um, <laughs> so again, fast forward a little bit. We go to the Arizona Fall League. Now, you know, he, he, we're a little bit more comfortable. We're spending a little bit more time together. And again, I just ask him, you know. So, you know, it's just so rare to see players from Haiti. And again, he's just like, I'm not from Haiti. <laughs> and so at this point, though, I did know a little bit more about him. And to give a little bit of background, one thing I knew about him was that there had been an identity issue with his paperwork when he was getting signed by the Yankees. Now, at the time, I didn't know anything of the situation. I didn't know how this stuff even really worked um, or what it meant to get suspended like that for a year. But, you know, we talked a little bit about that. And I think, again, toward the end of the interview, I just asked one more question about Haiti. And again, it's just like, well, you know, I'm not from Haiti. So I don't, John, I'm getting to think that maybe he's not from Haiti. Maybe he's not from Haiti. So <laughs> one thing I should point out, though, and this is a bigger, heavier topic, there is a lot of anti-Haitian sentiment in the Dominican. And there is a belief in a lot of circles that, you know, Haitian cliques or what, what have you will often, you know, try to hide their Haitian background um, and you know, promote themselves as Dominican um, for understandable reasons. And in my head, not knowing anything, literally not knowing anything, I can't express how ignorant I am about the world. In my head, that's what's going on here. That this is a guy who thinks that for some reason, someone has given him advice at some point that you know he should just say, "Oh, I'm not from I'm Dominican." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I just took that to be what it was. But I start reading a little bit more about it, and sure enough, it seems that there's like just some question there because he's telling me he's never been to Haiti. It's not even he's saying, like, you know, oh, no, I consider myself Dominican. He's saying, I've never been to Haiti. So, <laughs> long story, slightly less long, I end up in the Dominican in January to go spend some time with Severino for a story that I wrote in the April issue. And we reached out to Florial because we had his contact information from the times we had spent with him in the Arizona Fall and everything like that. We reached out and said, hey, you know, can we spend some time with you? And he said, sure. And he couldn't have been nicer about it. And I figured, you know, at this point, I, I just I need to sit this guy down and just figure out what is going on here. There had been a story that I found in the interim that kind of said, like, you know, there's some question about his background. Like, is he Haitian? And he just sits down with me and he just gives all to me that his mother was trying to enroll him into school. In the Dominican. In the Dominican. He was born in Barayona, Dominican Republic. She was a, He had no birth certificate, though. He was a home birth. He didn't ever know his father. There was no like establishment of identity for him. When he was trying to enroll in school, his mother took any paperwork she could get. She found this paperwork for Haniel Deolio, and that's who he became. And little did anyone know he was going to turn into somebody who would have a very real need for documentation of his that he uh, life yeah. because he was, you know, becoming this huge baseball prospect. And at the same time this was happening in the Dominican, especially there had been so many issues with identity problems. And like we're talking 
not just, you know, the typical thing where, you know, there are whispers, there had started being arrests that were being made of players who had falsified their identity, including some big names in the major leagues that MLB really cracked down on this. They go to check his paperwork. He's not Hany Aldeolio. He, and, and they suspended him for a year. But he says to me, he's like, I've never been to Haiti. The, my, his mother is Haitian. The only way that they could establish an, a line of identity for him, a line of lineage, was through her. So since there is no ident- there is no birth certificate for Estevan, he basically just like established Haitian citizenship, um, despite the fact that he had never been to Haiti. <laughs> and wow. is and, and, and so again, you know, I'm just like kind of listening to the story, and I'm like my ignorance is just like on full display because I'm like so curious about this stuff, and I'm also just you know I don't know like how what I'm supposed to say to him, but eventually I end up talking to his manager. And I, I, you know, business manager, agent, whatever you want to call him. And he literally gave me the whole story about just this one year suspension and everything they had to do in the course of that year to go get him an identity and basically just like to write his past and, and not, you know, you, you hear this stuff and I hear this stuff and my ex- expectation was here was a guy who was suspended because he was falsifying his identity. He was probably trying to seem you know old enough to sign or younger than he was at the time so that he could get more money. And it's just like everyone's kind of telling me, like, no, that's not the case with this guy. Like, this is just a really bad story of like yeah. a, right, a guy who just didn't have paperwork, and his mom was just trying to get him into a school. That's it. That yeah. was the bottom line. What I thought was really, um, you know, pretty incredible was that for some reason, I don't know where his love for the Yankees began, but he seemed really committed to becoming a Yankee eventually. Because so. He was due to, you know, get this massive signing bonus, but then he couldn't sign because he didn't have the paperwork. So he lost out on all these millions of dollars. Then it took months and months for them to get it straightened out. And once they finally did, he, you know, most people would be like, all right, well, whatever team, you know, is going to send me an offer, I'm going to sign with. But teams did. And he said, my dream is to be a Yankee. Yeah, he... So basically, you know, to make a very, you know, complicated situation slightly simpler, there are very strict limits on what a team is able to spend on the international market. Um, and if you go over it, the penalties are just massive. But the Yankees had basically been looking at so, – so international players are allowed to start signing July 2nd after they turn 16. And the Dominican falls into, you know, that category. So the Yankees had looked at this 2014 market and basically said, we are going to accept years of penalties – in order to go crazy in this market. And it was, so, you know, they've been planning it for a few years and they just said, you know, they, we're just going to blast through what our limits are. And, and, and tr- literally they, there would be years of penalties that follow out as a result of it, but they thought this class was worth it. And the number, the guy number one on their list was Haniel Diolio. And yeah, so beyond the fact that, you know, that you go through this year suspension, it wasn't even a matter at that point of like, now you're a year older and now we don't trust you. It's literally the Yankees were not able to spend the money. Right. They, they are now handicapped at like a very, very low amount of money that there's, they can now spend. The money is capped what they can spend and there's a hundred percent tax on any money they spend. So, you know, they're giving this guy double, he's a 16 year old guy who's still a prospect, no matter how much you love him, he still is a, you know, you never, you never know. They're going to have to pay double and there's a limit. And, and yeah, there's a story that his agent told me he went to this Padres tryout after this all happened. And literally the guy says he didn't make contact with one ball. He was just swinging through things left and right. And then they're just driving back 
And he's just like staring at the window silently. And he said to him, he's like, you don't want to sign with the Padres, do you? He said, no, I want to be a Yankee. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, it, it worked out well for the Yankees. I don't know how well. It certainly didn't work out very well for his agent. Um, <laughs> and, not making quite as much money as you know, like, the millions upon millions that he probably would have made. And Look, I, I'm not trying to be negative when I say this. He turned down life-changing money, probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know exactly what the offer was from the Padres, but he did not get life-changing money. He needs to turn into a baseball player to get paid the way he should have been paid. Um, the guys in that class who were with him, you know, the guys who basically got the deal he was supposed to get, they signed for like $3 million and $2 million, and he signed for $200,000. Maybe in America that's not retirement money yet, but, you know, if you're in the Dominican, $3 million U.S. million is retirement money. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he turned it down, basically. So, Well, it's a really fascinating story, John. I think it's just awesome that you were able to get this. And, you know, the reporting is just incredible. You know, you went uh, to a lot of different sources, both from Donnie Rowland, the Yankees, you know, director of international scouting. And uh, you got MLB on the record to kind of just establish that, you know, everybody's saying that the paperwork issue, there was nothing, you know, nefarious. But he wasn't trying to trick anybody. It was just, like you said, I mean, he was, <laughs> he didn't have a birth certificate. And, you know, it was just a, and it's it, it, the circumstances. And it's really, it's a crazy story. And it's notable because of how good of a baseball player he is. But, like, this is a really common story. There's just a lot of kids who deal with this there that, you know, Maybe they're, they're no fault of their own. Yeah. It's just that's and maybe they're a mediocre baseball prospect, and therefore you never really find out about it. Um, this is only happening to this. This is only newsworthy because he's so good. And I and, and I have to say, like, I have had a lot of luck in the last year in terms of you know finding my way into some good stories that I didn't really expect. You know, I the the Donnie Sand story, which originally started this whole thing. Um, I never expected that to turn into what it ended up being. You know, I, I spent a lot of time last year with Jacoby Ellsbury. You know, I'm very proud of the story that I was able to do that. I'm so grateful in this case to Florial for trusting me um, and trusting us to tell us this story because it's really complicated. And there's just no – he was just so mature in walking me through the whole thing and explaining to me what happened. And, you know, I'm 36 years old and he's 20 and I haven't experienced anything in my life close to what he has gone through. And – he did not have to open up this way. And, and certainly, if he wanted to open up this way, he could have done it to any news source he wanted to. He could have, um, I, you know, I was very, I could not believe the story when he was telling me. And obviously, I didn't even believe him the first few times he told me. <laughs> but, John, uh, he's not from Haiti. Jeez. But but there is, and, and, and I mentioned this in the story, and there's a really, ha- in my opinion, you know, the happy ending to the story will be when he signs you know, a massive contract at some point. I hope that happens for him. Um, Or the day he makes his big league debut. I mean, that'll be amazing. Right. But, you know, one small happy ending to the story was early in spring training this year, he basically informed the Yankees PR department, like, hey, I'm not from (laughs) And literally, it was in, you know, I don't know if it was February or March this year, but finally, like, if you go to, you know, MLB.com and look up S1 Florio lists his birthplace of the Dominican Republic. And like, that is not a small thing. Like that's a massive, like that, that that's him getting his life back. That's his identity yeah. for right. sure. And so it's, it's like you said, it's important to him. This is who he is. And it's finally, it's great that he's finally able to be Esteban Florial. He doesn't have to be Daniel Diolio or yeah. anybody one, else. 
It is an incredible story. What's it called, John? It is called Rocket Man. <laughs> and it is in the May issue of Yankees Magazine, which is on sale now. Great photo of Dee, Dee on the cover. Awesome content on the inside as well, which we will get more into in later podcasts. But you got some uh, Glaber and Anduhar stories. Tyler Austin's in there. David Wells, Aaron Hicks. Pick it up. It is definitely worth your time and your read. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Yanks Magazine. Email us, podcast at yankees.com. We want to hear from you. Um, what else, guys? Subscribe. Subscribe. That's a good one. Subscribe. And, rate us. We and keep like those it. letters coming. We've been getting some nice letters. Letters at yankees.com. We um, really like hearing from you. We like to know that what you think and what we're doing good, what we're what you want to see more of. We love getting your input, so give us all of it that you have. Hillary, did you see this letter from Katie Mack? No, who who was Katie Mack? What so did Katie she say? Mack, she reached out to us. Uh, I think she sent it to letters Hi, at yankees.com. She said, my name is Katie, and I grew up watching and supporting the Yankees since I was young. After college, I moved to Ohio and was sad that while I have good opportunities here, I miss watching the Yankees on Yes every night. Last year, I discovered your podcast, and I felt so in tune with the team again. I even bought tickets last year to see the Yankees play the Indians twice, once in the regular season and once in the postseason. I listen to your podcast all the time, even playing back some of your earlier episodes. The Ooh, reason that's I'm dedication, s- yeah. <laughs> the reason I'm sending you this message now is that you now have a new fan. This is Jet, my five-year-old paint horse, and she sent <gasps> us a picture of Jet. Oh my god! Who listens to your podcasts while I clean his stall or do barn chores? He is a people horse, so it doesn't surprise me one bit. We both look forward to your future podcasts and what this Yankees team has in store. Katie, oh my God, as a fellow equestrian, I am floored by your message. I think that's so cool. Your horse is beautiful. I'm looking at a picture of Jet right now. Oh my God, thank you so much for that compliment. And I'm so glad that you like the podcast. That's so cool. Um... Well, now I feel like, yeah, keep, keep the, keep (laughs) the emails coming. This is so nice. Wow. Katie, thank you for listening. Thank you for the email. Thank you for the picture of the horse, which I will, you know, just enjoy for a long time because again, I love horses. Um, but cool. Yeah. Let us know what you guys are thinking and maybe we'll read your letter on the air too. All right, guys. Thanks so much. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.